Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We are live on a Monday morning. It's the Standing Room Spartans podcast with a very special episode for you today. Now, you probably see the length on the episode there. Uh, This is the longest episode we've done, uh, and it's with a very special guest, a very good friend of mine and my high school football coach, Coach Mack of Detroit Catholic Central. We talked about, man, just about everything. Uh, We talked about football in general and what we're missing out on with uh, any, any high school kids, any any parents of high school kids that are listening. Uh, we had a good conversation about, you know, just missing football. And obviously, as Michigan State fans, we're going through the same thing there and, and how, you know, two football guys are are trying to cope with all of that. We talked about that quite a bit. We talked about Michigan State and Mel Tucker and kind of the state of the program. And then uh, we wrapped around college football because, you know, we're both just big college football fans. And I think you'll definitely hear that as we're going through um, the probably the second half of the episode, I would say. Um, we're just talking about college football and, and everything that we're going to see this year. Obviously, we don't have the Big Ten, uh, but we, we do have the ACC. We do have the Big 12. We do have the SEC. And so for any Michigan State fans that are listening, I'm sure that you love college football in general and that you'll be watching on Saturdays. So we gave a little preview for each conference. We spent about 20 minutes just kind of wrapping up and some storylines to look out for. We gave a couple predictions for who we think are going to win each of these conferences. So um, the first half of this podcast, if you kind of want to break it up a little bit, um, what I would do is is listen to the first half of this today. Um, again, just talking about football, talking about what we're going to be missing, uh, high school football, college football at, at the Michigan State level. And then I would say the second hour, um, we're really just talking about all college football and, and what we're going to see this year. So if you want to kind of break it up, that's that's about how it lays out is the first half is just talking ball in general and and local football. And then the second half is kind of a, a whole preview for this college football season. And and we really dig into some of these storylines that I think are going to be a lot of fun to watch. Of course, we'll be Michi- missing our uh, Michigan State Spartans out there on Saturdays, but there is still college football. Fear not, we'll get you ready for it. So uh, if you want to break it up that way today, listen to the first hour, maybe tomorrow, Wednesday, wherever, 
um, listen to the second hour, or maybe, you know, Hey, you're going on a long walk for the, with the dog, you're going uh, hiking. You want something to listen to. Um, you can knock out all two hours at once, but I hope you appreciate this. I, I hope you enjoy because I had a ton of fun recording. Uh, we spent about four hours yesterday talking football. So, um, it, it was a good time, uh, just reconnecting with, uh, with coach Mac and, uh, I hope you guys enjoy. So here it is. And joining us today, uh, a very special guest here, my football coach back at Detroit Catholic Central, uh, shoot, 10 years ago now. It feels weird saying that. We kind of were talking before we, we started recording. But uh, Coach Mike Mack, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Um, good to see you after after a little hiatus here. But how you doing? It's, I'm great, man. It's it's been a, a good number of years here, but I appreciate the invite and uh, thrilled to just talk some ball. I mean, with all the chaos that's been going on in society, uh, there's there's nothing better than just being able to block out the noise and talk college football, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I you know we we talk all the time about college football through you know Twitter and and it's just something where. I, I love talking to people who love college football because uh, there's so many storylines and things going on. So we'll get to all of that, but um, I just want to kind of start really quick because uh, obviously you're coaching still at, at Detroit Catholic central um, for everybody that, that isn't in the state of Michigan that's listening. It's uh, where I went to school, but kind of uh, we can call it a powerhouse. I think that's safe to say. Um, when I was there, we went to a state championship, didn't win it. Unfortunately, we got our, our ass kicked by Cass Tech. It was like 49-13. It was, uh, we'll, won't forget that one anytime soon. But um, without college football with, or without high school football in the state of Michigan going on this year, I, I know your schedule's probably all up in arms and, and a little bit crazy right now, but um, what, what are you doing without football this year? What's, what's going on in your head without, uh, without any high school football? Well, uh, with no high school football, it's definitely been a different, uh, a different type of fall. And I'm sure that um, whether you're in the high school football world, the college football world, uh, as a player, coach, or fan, um, certainly this is not something that any of us wants to get used to. But, uh, you know, it's a different type of challenge. Um, everybody's deciding like unfortunately our our big 10 isn't playing and uh high schools in in michigan are on pause uh, but we did get some some action last night i don't know if you watched that game last night that was central arkansas was playing uh, austin p and uh yeah football is still still has a heartbeat in america so uh somewhere out there right the football fans of <laughs> of the universe here can unite around what F fcs football <laughs> i'll take what i something. can get Take what you can get, and uh, and the the Spartan podcast here, right? We're still uh, alive and kicking. Oh yeah, we'll we'll be rolling can't, through all of it. Can't cancel us. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, no, this is something like I, you know, we'll we'll start off talking about Michigan State. We'll kind of branch out and talk some national things with you, because again, just as college football fans, we we still got something to watch this year, which is nice, but. Um, with, with Michigan state, obviously there's all these reports coming out about, Hey, maybe they'll start after Thanksgiving or maybe they'll play in the spring. At this point, I've kind of accepted the reality. I think we're as the big 10, we're just going to kind of have to wait until next year. 
Um, but as a coach, that's also girl going through basically the same thing. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure you could empathize with Mel Tucker and, and what they're having to do. Like as a coach, like how do you keep the players engaged? How do you, you know, keep them motivated, working out, staying in shape, staying on top of the playbook, stuff like that. I mean, again, you're basically going through the same thing here. So, so what's the staff doing right now at Michigan state in your opinion? And um, you know, how does that look forward to next year? Are there any advantages? Are there disadvantages? Well, as far as what the players are going through, I can kind of share what I'm seeing on, on our end of things. And I can't imagine that it's too much different um, for the college kids, you know, being in that same general age range, a couple of things that I'll kind of highlight is one is I think that um, number one, I think that kids crave the structure and normalcy. So uh, I know there's a lot of dissenting views out there, but I, I do think more than anything, the kids want to be around the program. They want to be around their teammates. They want to be in a routine where they feel like they're um, the things that they're doing to work uh, every single day are, are contributing towards uh, development and them getting better uh, as individuals and, and growing as a team. Uh, I know it's very cliche, but you know, that's how the human being is wired. It's how a competitive athlete is wired. And I, I think you see that in our young people. And I think that, um, you know, at least from what we're seeing for sure on a day-to-day -day basis uh, as, as a high school coach, um, I don't know that society gives our, our young people enough credit for how resilient that they are. Um, I see a lot more older people uh, with challenges uh, with everything that's going on, whereas the younger people, you know, they've taken, you know, their lives have been turned upside down just as much as anybody. Um, and they've exhibited some tremendous resilience in the face of, uh, as, as we've been referring to this, the new normal uh, that's been going on in, in the last five, six months. Um, so from a football standpoint, I think that the, uh, the, the players, the student athletes, you know, they, um, you know, they want to be back, whether, you know, in the field house, in the weight room, if they're permitted, you know, back doing organized team activities. Um, I, I think that's a part of their, of their, uh, their DNA and, and what they want to do. So, um, you know, I guess it's just as long as you, as a coach, everything that you do, you, you put the athlete at the center of them and show them that you care about them as people first and foremost. And I'm sure that that's what's happening uh, in East Lansing. I know that Coach Tucker has been getting, you know, very positive reviews and feedback uh, from uh, the community in that regard. So, um, you know, we're just kind of hearing and seeing what everybody else is seeing. And, um, you know, certainly there's no playbook on, on how to handle something like this. Uh, but I think if you kind of operate from that perspective uh, and of course being the long game is that, you know, everybody's going to play football again at some point uh, getting everybody mentally and physically prepared for when that time comes uh, to make the most of it. I mean, as far as advantages or disadvantages, um, I don't know that you have an advantage in one way or the other over, um, you know, like if you're talking about Michigan state from the big 10 right. perspective, the only thing I could really uh, latch onto, I suppose, would be uh, from a recruiting perspective, depending on if your state is playing high school football this fall or not. Um, but with, with recruiting being more regional and really more national than it ever has been, um, I'm not sure that those advantages are quite as pronounced as people might make it out to be. But certainly, 
uh, you know, your heart goes out to the young people who uh, can't play this fall, because um, certainly you know that they want to be out there under the Friday night lights and, and just being a part of our great game. Yeah, man, I, I've talked about it so many times with, uh, you know, some of the guys that I played with and, and a bunch of just athletes or former athletes. And it's that same kind of sentiment where you just at that point in your life, I mean, it's, it's everything. And I think people kind of forget that a little bit as the years go by and you forget what it's like to be 16 years old and, and how football is your entire life. And, you're working out every day and, and trying to win a state championship. And, you know, like you said, the age gap between high school and college is pretty small. They're still kids. So um, it's, it's got to suck, man. I, I can't imagine losing out on, on a senior season or, you know, they're talking about postponing it or whatever the case may be. I mean, that's just it's some of the things that, that you'll remember for, for your life, some of the friendships you make and stuff. So I, I really – Man, it's it's tough to imagine, yeah, going going into your senior year and and not knowing what's going on with football. Or for the guys that were graduating, you know, last year in the spring, they missed out on a lacrosse season, on a you know track or track and fields in the fall. But um, yeah, whatever, whatever else is in the spring, baseball. I think yeah, track and fields, track and fields in the spring. Yeah. Okay, cross so country, cross country is what I'm thinking fall. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, missing out on that kind of stuff, I, I can't even imagine. So, it's... well, I think the other thing that people have to remember is, you know, when you're talking about college football, you're talking about a team that has 85 scholarship guys at the Division One level. You're talking about a roster that could be as high as, you know, 120 guys, including your walk-on players. Everybody likes to focus on the the star athletes and so forth, and those guys are going to have a tomorrow, right? They're going to go play in the National Football League and get a shot at at professionalism and and hopefully greatness. But for the ninety or more percent of college football players that you know, this is one year less off of their experience. And as, you, know, you mentioned high school seniors, college seniors, the same thing. Mm-hmm. This could be their final uh, go round, uh, and you know have no idea whether it's going to happen uh, in an abbreviated form. You have no idea whether it's going to happen at all. You know, I mean, there's a lot of uh, promises that people are putting on paper. You're going to play at Thanksgiving. You're going to play after the new year. You're going to play in the spring. Um, But as we know, with everything that's going on, you don't take anything for granted. So um, you just have to kind of feel for those guys. And and hopefully the people who are in the decision-making process, you know, keep that at the center of their thoughts and try to make this solution work for everybody. Um, and give those guys one last chance to go out and, uh, uh, you know, fulfill their passion. Um, and if you really believe in the mission of football and, and developing character and developing life skills and, and setting you up for the future, then I think that's an investment that you have to, you know, put everything that you can into making it, making it possible uh, that we don't have to wait till fall 2021 before we see, you know, Big Ten football and a lot of other football back on the field. Yeah, and it's that's a good point too. With you know, of course, the the conversation's going to go to the the star players. To you know, what's he get? Is he going to opt out and prepare for the draft? Is and all this stuff. But yeah, we you just had you another have, big one this afternoon. Yeah, Jamar Chase. That's uh, from LSU. That's oh man, that's a bummer that we won't see him because that that guy can play. Um. But it's, I mean, you go through the roster and, you know, I, as a special teams guy, I, I like to talk about special teams all the time. 
And, uh, you know, you, you have some of these guys that, Hey, maybe their role on the team is, is he's on the kick return team. Uh, you know, he's a, he's an up back on the kick return team and that's all he does. And he's not one of these star players, but you know, like you said, he's, he knows that the end of his football career is coming. He's not going to play in the NFL, but you still cherish that you still work your tail off every day and, and trying to get better and, you know, you have your teammates there and, and it sucks for, for not just the star players that are missing out on, you know, their chance at a, at a big 10 championship or an all big 10 team or something like that. But, you know, it, it stretches down to the bottom of the roster and, you know, people, people forget special teams matters too. Kevin, have um, you have you told your story of special teams on the pod before? <laughs> You've got your coach on here. Like I can put you over right now if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so I, fro, I think you're referring to uh, we were. This was uh, sophomore year, so it was JV. But we we're going against uh, our heated rival. I mean, anybody in the state of Michigan probably knows uh, Catholic Central and Brother Rice. It's it's number one rivalry in the state. It's unbelievable. And, you know, our, our colors are blue and white. There's our uh, orange and black. And it, at CC, you, you can't wear orange. I mean, any given day, if you show up to school wearing orange shoes, wearing anything orange, you'll get ridiculed. You know, I, Aaron Babbitts would, would probably make you just take it off, throw it in the trash. And, you know, he's a great guy. So he would run across the street to Target and buy you a new pair of shoes or something. But, Man, it it's such a big rivalry, but we were going down there. Um, we tied – well, we, we scored a touchdown okay. to tie it up and just needed the extra point. And we got a celebration penalty. I forget who it was that – I, I want to say it was Dan Mixer. So we scored on fourth down. We threw a fade into the corner. And we score and probably about a half a dozen or more guys ran off the sideline to celebrate, (laughs) even though we were still down by one (laughs) and needed to kick the extra point. And for what it's worth, uh, noting Kevin was not our starting kicker at that point. And our starting kicker was the tailback and he had Uh, gotten hurt uh, with an ankle injury. And so um, we get the 15 yard penalty and now we back this thing up and have to kick a 35 yard extra point to their credit, right? Brother Rice, they took the penalty on the kick and not not on the ensuing kickoff like you could have. You tried to make it, you know, a pretty tough kick for a sophomore kicker. And uh, with ice in his veins, right down the middle, 35-yard extra point, tie the game, and and we all go home pretty happy. So certainly we would have rather tried to win but that was a heck of a kick I still still think about it right so I um, yeah you still text me from time to time about that it's (laughs) it's hilarious because coaches don't forget anything it's hard like I you know as the the joke goes with married guys right you got to try it like hell to remember your wife's birthday and your anniversary (laughs) but you don't you could coach for 40 years and you'd never forget a play it's just how it is oh that's no that's hilarious that you know and and um of course, now, like we were just talking about it, it's 10 years ago, and that feels like, you know, an eternity. But um, I still remember to this day, because you, you think about it now, okay, you know, JV, it's it's not a big deal, whatever. But at the time, again, you know, you put yourself into the brain of a, of a 15, 16-year-old, and that, that moment's everything. And like you said, I wasn't even the starting kicker, so I'm kind of going into that game just like, ah, you know, all right, we'll, we'll go. And uh, 
at that point my role was was uh supporting let's say and uh yeah of course Kaz gets hurt and and now there's some like okay I'm starting to stretch out a little bit maybe maybe they'll need me and of course that's the moment where I have my first like point of my high school kicking career and man I was like shit in my pants running out on the field <laughs> <laughs> This is a, you know, biggest rivalry in the state where we're, uh, where we need to tie this thing up and, you know, you're thinking about letting your team down. And yeah, I was, I, I very much remember my feelings going into that kick of. <laughs> so, so just to bring this all full circle, I mean, here we are, you know, what, 10 years later telling this story, right? So you think about what's at stake with high school football and college football and games being canceled and games being postponed. I mean, these are the memories that people are are you know working, trying to make, uh, and all they really want, you know, is the opportunity to go out there and and, and make those things happen. So, um, hopefully, like I said, hopefully the the powers that be see what's on the table and see what's at stake, and uh, and we all get to experience as much uh, football at any level as as we can this fall, safely for sure, right? Smartly for sure, but hopefully we get to have it. Yeah, no, it's any football fan is I think right there with you on that sentiment. Like, uh, of course we want it to be safe. Of course we want everybody to be healthy, but you know, we just want football at the end of the day. So um, let's kind of start this kind of conversation about Michigan state specifically, you know, we have some other topics I want to get to, but you know, of course this is a Michigan state podcast. So we got to start there. Um, I, you've been uh you've been around a little bit longer than I have but you know I remember back you know the the John L Smith days the Bobby Williams days and, and then coach D'Antonio comes around and and turns this whole program on its heels uh in a good way obviously and, and he retires you know there there's a lot of stuff going on around the program surrounding that retirement and um you know you can say what you want about the timing of it but Ultimately, that brings on a late coaching search. We go through Luke Fickle was probably the the name that most fans wanted to hear, and he was probably the center of that search. Uh, you know, there was talks about Narduzzi coming back from Pitt, and ultimately we wind up with Mel Tucker out of Colorado, um, you know, as a first-year head coach uh, at the college level last year. And he comes in, uh, again, the circumstances of the coaching search were very interesting, but ultimately I think we did a pretty good job. And, and from the sounds of coming out of Michigan State, it sounds like, you know, he's made quite the impression. So, I, I mean, what are kind of your thoughts going into that search? And, and, you know, maybe if you have any thoughts about D'Antonio in general, um, I, I love talking about him, but, um, you know, what do you think about the hire? What do you think about that process? Well, obviously the process was, uh, quite a, quite a, a wild ride, right? I mean, I still remember, uh, waking up the morning that the, the Mel Tucker hire, uh, was announced, you know, it's five thirty in the morning. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, my alarm goes off and I'm checking my phone just like most good Americans do. And, uh, <laughs> You wake up and check your phone, see the news, you know, and, uh, oh yeah, immediately. And, you know, I was shocked, but, you know, I mean, people are going to be, you know, put into different mindsets based on how they felt about the process. But I think if above all else, if you're going to evaluate a process, 
the number one criteria would have to be, did you get your guy, right? Mm-hmm. You, you had a target and they did whatever it take, takes to get that guy. I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a college football coaching search that wasn't uh, filled with some twists. I mean, it would go all the way back to some of the most high profile ones, like even the Nick Saban to Alabama was filled with twists and turns. And is he going to go? Is he not going to go? And really it wasn't even the first pick. They they were honing in on Rich Rodriguez. And uh, I mean, That's every, every about. major, <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's like, like every major coaching search, um, you know, has these details and, and depending on the level of success of the hire, we, we tend to forget about those pretty quickly if the hire works out. Right. So, and as far as fit, I think it's a great fit. I think it fits the the program culture in terms of what you're looking for. You know, real blue collar guy. Um, I wish there was more body of work to judge him by as far as at the college level, but in his short time at Georgia, they played for a national championship. I mean, that's a, a, a nice piece to hang your hat on. When he was at Colorado last year, for them to win five games, I thought was a great coaching job in year one. Um, you know, they had some good pieces, but not a ton of talent. Um, they beat some decent squads at the end of the year. They beat Washington and they beat Stanford in games that I think they weren't favored in. And if you go back and watch those, um, you know, the compete level is pretty high and they're starting to play the brand of ball that I think he wants to get them to play. So um, you judge a man by his results there. Uh, they weren't a bowl team, but um, they definitely got better from start to finish. And uh, it's kind of a shame, you know, that, that uh, you know, the Big Ten isn't going to be playing the original rendition of their season because I, I was really looking forward to seeing uh, if the same script was going to play out here uh, this fall uh, for the Spartans. You know, I, I think you really would have gotten to see progress, um, which, you know, is measurable in different ways. This, for what it's worth, the schedule in its original form was very challenging. So I think MSU fans would have had to really look beyond the box score, so to speak, to see progress. But I think that this hire was a long game type of hire. Uh, You know, you've got what you've got in year one, especially with the early signing period. I mean, the people in the industry almost refer to this as a year zero rather than a year one um, and then move forward from there. But um, just in terms of, you know, for most college football programs, it's recruiting is, is one piece, but development is another piece. You really would have gotten to see Tucker and his staff as a whole, like how, how adept are they at, at that development piece? Um, I, I would have been surprised if it was anything other than positive results, even if the record wasn't uh, sterling, at least in, in year one. Yeah. Th- like the record, I, I don't know, like you, it probably wouldn't have been pretty, let's be honest. But, uh, you know, that schedule, again, you go through it, and there was that stretch. It was like Miami, Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, yeah. not Wisconsin, Minnesota, were like all right in a row in the middle of the season. And it was just – I was really curious – how well, we were even at the beginning, that. they had to go to BYU, which is no layup. And, yeah, you know, conference game to traveling. start the year against Northwestern. Like, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we handled them pretty good last year, but then they upgraded at quarterback and um, just a lot of unknowns. So actually, here's the, the interesting piece, at least in my opinion, as far as schedules. Um, 
the second version of their schedule was actually friendlier Much, in my yeah. opinion just because now you got some of those games i think maryland might have moved to the front of the schedule um some games where you even if you don't win you're looking at maybe you can find a win maybe two wins you're competitive in the other games you get some momentum going so that when you get to the the thick part of the schedule in the middle of the season now you've got some confidence and some momentum behind you so that you can go out and be competitive and not just um you know playing from behind so to speak in terms of you know not just scores but you know if you're if you're one and four going into play you know murderer's row that's yeah. uh that's a tough situation but if you're two and two or three and two and now you've got ohio state penn state iowa michigan coming up now you're like okay well let's strap the pads up and let's go see what happens it's a different feeling uh within the program at that point so so that was actually you know even though i wasn't the biggest fan of eliminating those games the way that they did and just staying all in conference you definitely understand why they did it i don't, I don't think anybody doesn't see the the rationale behind mm-hmm. it as a college football fan, I like the the different flavors that you get from playing non-conference games and things like that. And I think that, you know, should this season go off as, as it's planned at this point, right, with some leagues playing and the leagues that are playing only playing within their own ranks, I think college football fans will come to realize that, you know, the, the national nature of the sport is good and, and they'll appreciate that when we, when we circle back to that. But, but from an MSU standpoint, right, that would have been uh, a positive thing. And then, well, we, we got that optimism for what, about six days. And then they, <laughs> they canceled it was quick together. So, yeah. Yeah. And so with this season, obviously, you know, that's not being played now again, we'll see what happens. I I'm not really too optimistic at this point about getting any football in at, at Michigan state until next fall. Um, you know, there, there's these reports recently about after Thanksgiving or something. I, I don't know, but what were kind of some of the storylines, obviously something that I've talked about was, just I, I want to see a team that in any given week we're competitive going into the fourth quarter. You know, if we win or lose, I, I don't want any blowouts and that kind of thing. But obviously we were looking into the quarterback competition, what was going to happen there. Um, some skill position guys that I think were really interesting, uh, you know, to see kind of that progression, whether that's um, Julian Barnett flipping over to corner you have Trey Mosley, Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed coming in from, from Western Michigan. Um, I, I think the skill guys were interesting. We lost a lot of pieces on defense. So, you know, that would be a, a storyline to follow. But what, what were the storylines, I guess, that you were most interested in going into this season that, you know, now we're, I guess, kicking that can down the road till next year? Well, when I was evaluating Michigan State, you know, back in the summer before any of this um, change of course took place, um, some of my apprehensions lie in uh, almost like the same thing you've been watching deteriorate over the last couple of years. Uh, quarterback play, I think, was going to be the big one. And I know that's not an, uh, you know, an eye-opener for anybody. It's kind of an obvious thing for any football team, but maybe no more than, than this team, just because you know, the offensive line was going to be okay. Uh, maybe not great, but hopefully um, experience and, and being healthy. I mean, it was a revolving door situation last year. They have a lot of bodies to work with. If they can keep people healthy um, and develop some continuity, find a good group of five there, 
Um, you know, I know everybody likes uh, the kid that came from Belleville, Devontae Dobbs. You know, he, you would now have a little bit of experience, build around a guy like him. You still got some some uh, rough and tough guys in the middle like Matt Allen. Um, you know, they could have been a, a solid, maybe not spectacular, but a solid Big Ten line, run the ball a little bit and try to keep people off balance. I really, you mentioned a bunch of their receivers. I, even losing their three top receivers, you know, with Darrell Stewart being one and, and Cody White being another, um, I still loved their depth at that group. I, you know, yeah. it's just trying to find somebody to distribute the ball to them. Collins at tailback, you know, he was an emerging guy. There was a lot to like all around. Um, the tight end uh, that starred in the in the bowl game last year, Gilson. Gilson, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was he's he a nice play. prospect. Yeah, he's he's athletic. I mean, the the cast on the offense they they didn't have an empty shelf. Um, but the quarterback was going to be the big question mark. And, and and unfortunately, I felt like short of a big surprise that that was going to be kind of an Achilles heel, especially against better football teams. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, when you, when you think about who Michigan State is, especially with a guy like Mel Tucker um, and what is going to be their identity, uh, don't beat yourself, right? Don't make mistakes and bring the game into the fourth quarter. So if you could find that, I know the, the cliche saying is a game manager type that maybe a Rocky Lombardi could have been that type of player um, and then give the guys behind him time to develop uh, and then see where we are at in, in fall of 2021 there. Defensively, same type of deal where they have some pieces that you like, but I think last year it really started to show up, and I think you probably would have seen it again this fall, is um, the lack of, of quality depth. You know, so mm -hmm. like Antoine Simmons might be one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten period of anybody's roster. I mean, obviously yeah. you got like Micah Parsons at Penn State is going to be the guy. But beyond that name, he's as good as anybody. Um, Panasuk at defensive end, Naquan Jones in the middle. I mean, those are some solid pieces to build around. Xavier Henderson, he was highly uh, touted as a safety. Um, you hope that he could live up to his billing. Um, but as you start to go down this list, now I really love, you mentioned Julian Barnett. I do love him playing defense, yeah. not offense. Uh, Michigan State has kind of made a living in the years of having that big corner. Um, you know, he's 6'2", you know, and he's he's a high-profile guy. He's got to be a dude for your team. Um, so I, I, I liked, I thought that was the right fit for him was to play defense uh, and focus on that side of the ball. Yeah, but as you like start to get past, like, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, with uh, last year, I, I think they, they put him at receiver more out of necessity than anything. I mean, I, I think the plan all along was for him to be a corner, and, and they just got put in a tough spot, and, and they needed an athlete. But I, I was really excited to see him at corner because I think he's got all the talent in the world. Yeah, I mean, he's like a Darquez Denard type of player, uh, Trey Wayne's type of player, I think, in the long run. You know, I mean, those guys are top, you know, day one, day two NFL guys. Mm -hmm. He's that good. But once you get past, like, their first maybe six or seven names, it starts to drop off. And that's where I think the concern is. And that's where I think you need player development. And that's where maybe, you know, it's not an overnight hire a coach. And then, you know, five months later, you know, you're – you're back to being the old Spartan dogs and shutting people down. This is going to take a little while. So, um, and that's okay. You know, I mean, I think the Spartan fans are in it for the long haul, but um, that was kind of my, my take on the whole thing is as, as far as um, where they stood in the pecking order. 
you know, they would have been, I think, would have had a hard time getting to six wins with a, in a full 12, 12 game season between their deficiencies on the roster plus the schedule. You know, now some of that is, you know, you see that all throughout college football. Schedule matters a ton. Mm-hmm. This schedule didn't, you didn't, they didn't help themselves out at all and schedule themselves into a bowl game. You know, they, 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 you know, you're taking on Miami, you're taking on BYU, you would have been taken on Toledo, who was picked to win the Mid-American. That's not a layup either. So um, that's where sometimes, like I said, you got to help yourself out a little bit. So uh, fall 2020 would have been a, a little bit of an uphill climb. So at least in, in my perspective, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe you know, fall 2020 will become spring 2020, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, We'll see what that looks like when the time comes. I got to see the schedule. You got to see who's playing. Uh, we keep getting these opt-outs. The landscape changes pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's something I wanted to ask you about too with the schedule because uh, obviously, you know, you kind of mentioned there we didn't really do ourselves any favors in terms of scheduling some wins, right? There was no Mercer or, or just some random FCS school to beat up on a little bit, and. I'm curious because with what we're going to see with college football uh, this year is like you mentioned, conference only play. I know a couple schools are able to schedule somebody if they're within their state or or something like that, but you're basically going to see a bunch of conference games. You're not going to see the cupcake, um, you know, FCS schools coming in and I'm curious from your perspective, because, you know, at CC, we always play a tough schedule and obviously we have a tough division and and all of our non-conference games that we've traditionally played. Like when we were in high school, we went down to Ohio and played uh, Toledo Whitmer. We, you know, we'd scheduled just tough teams. And I'm curious what you think with, um, you know, say an ACC team that's losing out on, on a couple cupcake type games to start the year I mean you might lose out on some of that confidence from an early win is there something where you know you you have to grind through every game and that changes the mentality of the team I mean what's what's kind of your thoughts with this conference only type schedule or, or what Michigan State was going to play with basically all tough games and none of these scheduled easy wins well, I probably bring a little bit of a different perspective on scheduling than most people do. Um, I know most fans, especially the casual fans, they just want to see a good game every week. And certainly there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I do think that when you're thinking about it from a college football program perspective and you're thinking about it from a development perspective, you've got to remember that you know the rosters are getting younger and younger with more guys leaving for the NFL going early um, you've got this new rule now where a guy can play four games and still maintain his yeah. red shirt. So teams are starting to play their guys sooner, which I think is good. I think that's healthy for the sport. I think it allows you to maximize the number of guys on your, on your squad, which you did mention, you know, the grind of it when you start to play 10 conference games or, you know, 12 games that are all against power five teams, you know, they're going to be more physical games and you're going to see more guys getting hurt and, you're going to be going down your depth chart faster than you would have under normal circumstances. Um, From my perspective, I think in a 12 game situation, I think one of the more misunderstood things is um, 
like you want you want scheduling balance okay or competitive balance might be the better way that I, to say it so like i in my perspective a nine game conference schedule and i don't know if this is where you were going with this question mm-hmm. but it's what came to my mind was the <laughs> nine game conference schedule is one of the more misleading or, or lopsided types of setups that they they can there can be yet everybody's doing it so now at least in the big 10 you know you're going to play you know nine conference games so the the math just kind of adds up that you get five road games and four home games every other year and at least at least in the year that you're pay, playing five road games in your league it's everybody in your division is doing it at the same time so at least yeah. that takes a little bit of the of the sting out of it so um my opinion is it should be eight or it should be ten and actually i think that there's some cost to if you make it ten league games because now um you're missing out on some of those like Michigan state playing Notre Dame, for example, Mm -hmm. now doesn't fit into the schedule the way that it used to, or, or any other kind of interesting non-conference games, you become a little bit more gun shy, like a Miami. Do you go out and schedule Miami if you've already got to play 10 big 10 games? So um, I I like the eight personally, Um, but if you're playing it with nine, which is the current state of affairs, then I think your three non-league games kind of have to be like an ABC formula. So a is you're going to play a really hard opponent, uh, you know, a, a, a game that can get you on national television, you know, get your program some attention uh, and challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. B would be a name team that you think you can beat. Uh, you know, maybe that's what MSU was looking at when they scheduled BYU, right? That's not a, that's not a power team, but it's a quality team. And then C would be, somebody you think you can beat like a Toledo or somebody like that just so happened that the year Toledo (laughs) rotated onto the schedule that they were picked to win their league. So, and unfortunately uh, you mentioned uh, some of the Spartan eras of the past we've lived through watching (laughs) MSU win against, but also lose to teams like central Central Michigan, Michigan, Western (laughs) Michigan, uh, you know, so uh, I was at the game where uh, Central to, it was Dan Lefevre was the quarterback. Antonio Brown oh, yeah. was on there, and they had like an onside kick at the end, and they ended oh, yeah. up beating us at home. Uh, yeah, yeah, you remember those those bad losses pretty vividly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, short of you being, you know, if you're in Ohio State, you can go play whoever you want. If you're Alabama, you can go play whoever you want, right? But if you're Michigan State you know, the state of affairs right now sort of suggests that you want to not, not necessarily shy away from competition, but just be strategic in how you mm-hmm. schedule, because I think your program benefits from having games where you can go down the depth chart and get guys quality playing time and get guys experience. And yeah, set yourself up to play in a bowl game in, in an environment now where you've got almost 40 bowl games. You want to be one of those teams. Yeah. You want to be one of those teams um, so that you're not seen as being left out, so to speak, right? Because that's a, a a major knock against your brand. But also that you get the 15 practices and the whole experience, I think, is really good for your program. So that's where I kind of say be strategic about it, you know, for, for what it's worth. So I think scheduling is going to be a big conversation, um, especially after this uh, you know, whole pandemic is over and, and people begin to reevaluate, uh, you know, what this is going to look like. Uh, with a lot of different factors, right? You know, fans are going to have input. The TV people are going to have input. The conferences are going to have input. The coaches are going to want input, mm-hmm. right? So, <laughs> so there's a lot of different uh, um, stakeholders. 
that are going to want to get in on this conversation. It should be interesting. And I think um, the the next four or five years, all of these contracts come due. So uh, I know it's not the most sexy thing to talk about, but yeah, it's, no, it's, it's what shapes what we see every Saturday. So um, for what that's worth, something to stay tuned to. It, yeah, no, and it's it's a big deal, and and this is stuff that I read about all the time because I'm fascinated, and I love non-conference games. I, you know, like you said, it it gives you something a little bit different, a little bit more fun. You know, we we lost both times, but playing in Arizona State, it, it's just interesting, right? Playing in Oregon, it's it's something different. So, you know, I was looking forward to playing Miami. I know we got we we played Boise State uh, a few years back. That was 2012. Yeah, there's I think. another one. I mean, that's a they're fun coming up again uh, next two years next year. I don't remember. Um, yeah, you you get some of these fun matchups that that are um, that I don't want to miss out on. And I was watching Big Noon kickoff, and Urban Meyer was talking about basically. They asked him how he would approach this conference only schedule. And he talked about, you know, some of the things that you mentioned there with, you know, those non-conference games, they're really important for your team because you, you want to get those young depth pieces, some real game experience so that when your starting left guard goes down in week five, you know, you have somebody that, that you can feel comfortable that you've seen on a, on a field against another opponent and you can feel more comfortable putting him in there. Uh, where you're missing out on those chances. So that's something he talked about was was you're going to have a situation in week five and week seven where you're putting a kid out there that you have no idea how he's really going to perform. Maybe you've seen him in practice, but you know when you get those those bright lights and, and you don't really know how they're going to react to it, so you, you might see some pretty rough performances in the middle or the end of the year if if there's a backup quarterback, if there's a backup running back who just – isn't it isn't the guy who isn't it but they don't know that yet because he hasn't played his fourth quarter snaps against you know uh utah state or or something like that so yeah that's going to be fascinating to see what what the depth of some of these teams looks like um but i kind of want to you know we'll we'll take a little cruise around college football because i want to give some people the people something to look for, right? You know, we're, we're without Michigan state for, for the foreseeable future. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of talk about some of the people that are playing. Um, and, and with that, I want to start just really quick to get your take on this because North Dakota state for, for people that follow the NFL draft, you know, the name Trey Lance and that's their quarterback. Um, he's, he's getting a lot of first round buzz uh, as a quarterback prospect and North Dakota State scheduled one game for this fall against Central Arkansas, who's a pretty good FCS program. And they, they basically touted it as a showcase game for their guys, uh, more or less like a glorified pro day, I guess. Um, and they, I, they got an offensive lineman who's getting, you know, pretty good draft buzz. But the conversation usually points to the quarterback and – some people are saying this is basically a game to get Trey Lance in front of scouts for one game this year. Um, I, I'm just curious, like, what's your take on that scheduling one game? It's, it's a weird move to just schedule one game. What, what are you thinking? I think it's a great 
move. I think it's a great move for the program. I think it's a great move for the team. Now, I know it confuses people, like the optics of it, because people want to understand, like, well, how can you play one game? Well, why can't you play all these games? Yeah. You know, their their league shut down football, and now they're playing a game anyway, right? So it is a little, you know, confusing in that respect. But I think from the football standpoint, given the circumstances that they're operating under, I, I love the move. I think it's I think it's a sign, number one, of the program valuing what they have here with this is a pretty special kid Mm -hmm. and standing by that kid and understanding that he may not be there in the spring, depending on what happens with the NFL draft. And I know there are talk of moving the draft back, but maybe not. The NFL is king and the NFL doesn't necessarily (laughs) change. (laughs) Well, I know the NBA was talking about it. And I think that that's a little more plausible with the calendar and everything. So I think that because of that, people are are surmising, well, the NBA moved, well, maybe the NFL will move, but I kind of lean towards you that they're going (laughs) to stick to their calendar, especially if they play all their games as scheduled. There's no reason why they would move the draft. And I think the college people realize that. And so for North Dakota state to be able to, you know, put on this showcase for their quarterback and say, you know, we're giving you the opportunity to market yourself to the nation, to market yourself to the scouts and put yourself in the best position possible to, um, you know, be a top draft pick. Uh, I think that that is a exceptional opportunity for the kid, but also for future guys that want to come to North Dakota state. Now they can hang their hat on the fact that they put their, the welfare of their student athletes first, um, certainly the health aspect, but also the, the future aspect, right? That if you get a special talent like that, that you're going to um, you know, stand by that kid and and create any and every opportunity for that guy to go be a next level type of player. So um, I think that that really reflects well on, on their football program. Um, and I don't think it's too much of a stretch to play one game. I think that, you know, the risk assessment with everything going on in society um, if you're talking about playing an entire season, that's one thing. But the idea that can you pull off one game safely, Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think that that's too much to ask. Uh, and I think that it's absolutely something that they can do. And uh, I'm actually surprised that you're not seeing more of it, to be quite honest. Now, granted, not every program has a kid um, <laughs> that justifies that. I mean, this is kids, it's pretty special talent. But but I guess you kind of are seeing it a little bit. That's why you're getting a lot of these buy games, right? So. Um, like I think Central Arkansas is playing for yeah. or so games against. I know the teams. the academies are basically just playing each other. Navy will play yeah. Army and Air Force, and that's it. Like, yeah, but you know, like Missouri State is practicing for a month to play Oklahoma, and I think they're yeah. playing one game, and they're getting paid half a million dollars yep. to do it. <laughs> and but but you know, everybody looks at the cynical side of it and talks about the money. But if Missouri State has kids that are borderline NFL, you know, kids that maybe if they get on tape covering the receivers from Oklahoma, now they get invited to the combine or they get invited to one of these senior bowl type events. Um, That's huge. You know, so, you know, people can talk about the money and and certainly that's one aspect of it. But in terms of, you know, these kids and their future, um, there's a lot more moving parts, I guess, that maybe the average person doesn't think about all the time. And uh, I think that that's something to take into account too. You know, I think like the players want to play mm-hmm. um, and it's not all hundred percent about that. Right. It's, Cause sometimes it's, you got to be protected from your own self in certain oh, yeah. ways. Right. But, you know, like I said, keeping everybody safe, but if you think you can play one game and do it smartly and do it, say, I think Oklahoma's paying for 
Missouri State's testing. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's the world that we're living in now, right? So um, I, I like the idea. I, I, I certainly sign off on it, and, and uh, I think it's good for the sport and, and the future of, of uh, you know, both college and it's, pro football. It's, it's a fascinating thing for me because I, like, I look at the risk-reward side, not even health-wise, but of – of the player. And it's really interesting because I'm like, this is a kid who threw zero interceptions last year. And that's a little bit of a misleading stat. I mean, there, there were a couple passes I've seen that were, you know, tipped balls that just didn't happen to get into the hands of a DB stuff like that. But you know, what if he goes out there and just has a bad game like that? <laughs> you know, that's really interesting because th- there is a lot of momentum for him as, you know, a pretty clear first round quarterback if he goes out there in his one game and just lays an egg, you know, goes 50% for a couple interceptions and just, just can't get his rhythm together or something. uh, There's some risk involved for sure. Not even just on the health side. I think that was really interesting. Um, So I, you know, like I said, we, we got about, eh, let's say 20, 25 minutes here. I want to wrap around the country a little bit kind of get some storylines that the people should be following and, and we'll get a couple predictions out of the way too. Um, for these three big conferences, the ACC, the big 12, the SEC um, with the ACC, I want to start really quick uh, because I, I know you have thoughts about it. I, I have some thoughts too. Um, Notre Dame joins the conference for one year, basically a little rental. Uh, Notre Dame wanted to make sure that they could get a full schedule and uh, they're heading over to the ACC for a year. Um, obviously, probably going to be very competitive in the ACC. I mean, I think it's Clemson and then everybody else. Um, and then you add Notre Dame in there, that, that makes it really interesting. I think there are some good teams that just, they're, they're kind of one step away, whether that's North Carolina under Mac Brown that's starting to make some headway. You have Florida State with a new head coach. That could be interesting because we know they have the talent. Uh, Miami, any given year, we're just kind of waiting on them. Uh, Virginia Tech. I mean, there's a lot of these schools that are, we think, maybe close. And if they can, if the conference can get one or two of those teams to really make a good step forward, um, I I think that these kind of jokes about Clemson and the ACC will start to go away. But um, just really quick, starting with Notre Dame. I mean, what are your thoughts about them going into the ACC for just a year? And do you think they can be competitive? Do you think they could, I, I know Clemson was on their schedule already, but you know, do you think they can be competitive and beat them in that game? Well, I think it's a great strategic move for Notre Dame. I think it's one that they had to make given the landscape, uh, presently. Um, and as far as them being competitive, I, I, I do think that they're the number two team uh, in this now, what, 15 team setup that we have here. Um, if you wanted to get uh, a little bit risky, I guess you could say that they're, they're two and two a with North Carolina would kind of be my take. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Notre Dame has a few more guys, um, especially along the line of scrimmage and then on the front seven on defense than maybe UNC does. Um, but that UNC offense is, is pretty impressive. So, um, but I'd put Notre Dame as number two. I mean, they're behind Clemson. I think Clemson, you know, you, you um, say that the Clemson jokes might go away or whatever about, you know, what the 
Clemson and the 13 dwarves or whatever they yeah. the analogy <laughs> that people like to use, but Clemson's not going away. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it is Clemson's really not going away. Um, but if they have a number one contender this year, it's, it's going to be Notre Dame. Um, you know, they have the quarterback, right. And Ian book, uh, he's a great college quarterback. I, I don't know if I see him as a pro guy. I don't know if, what the, the, the temperature is on him in that regard, but um, you know, in the, if you've, followed Notre Dame in the world of Brian Kelly. Um, he's kind of ridden the roller coaster with quarterbacks throughout his career. And Ian Book has been very a very steady hand, right? A guy who um, has been able to take that coaching and, and kind of solidify that position. Uh, so it stopped being the revolving door that it had been at certain junctures uh, for Notre Dame. And I think that the program has benefited from that. They've got a great offensive line. Um, which is really of all of the things that Notre Dame has been able to hang their hat on in the last five or so, seven, maybe years. Um, they've been a factory for offensive linemen. And uh, I think that that's no accident that they've been as successful as they have been um, because they've continued to, to develop offensive linemen at a high level. You know, we're talking first, second, third round national football league guys. So um, that's going to give them a big advantage. To me, one of the, drawbacks of the ACC is their lack of physicality and I think you really see that when they go play the SEC and they go play the Big Ten I know it's tough to paint with a broad brush yeah and, and obviously Clemson is the is the exception you know they're a national team that can play with anybody but um, I do think that that will be a week-to-week -week advantage for Notre Dame is along the line of scrimmage against a lot of these ACC opponents um, but as far as uh, Notre Dame as a long-term investment in the ACC, um, me personally, I think, and I, I don't know, Kevin, I know we've talked about this and you, you kind of tend to agree with me on this, is this is hopefully a one-year deal uh, and then Notre Dame goes back to the agreement that they've had. We like the, we like the national uh, schedule that Notre Dame yeah. plays. So. I, I think people forget, like, I, there's a huge crowd, obviously, in Big Ten country, you know, all oh, they need to join the conference and yada, yada. I, I think people don't appreciate the, the Notre Dame schedule any given year and, and how they're in the spotlight with a game against USC, Stanford. Uh, you have the, the, the academies that they're playing when they, they play up Navy or something. And I think we would really miss that. And, and I know I would as a fan of college football. And I think people just kind of jump the gun on, oh, they need to join a conference. Well, I don't know, do they? Like, I, I, I really enjoy watching them any given year because they're playing USC and then the next week they'll turn around and play Michigan and then the next week they'll turn around and play Navy. I, I think it's just a fun season to watch unfold any given year. And I don't know, I feel like we'd be missing out on something. But uh, any people that are fans of college football – like as, as opposed to just one team fans who are fans of the sport as a whole, really appreciate that national aspect of Notre Dame. But when you start getting into the rivalries and the, yeah. especially this anti Notre Dame crowd, yeah, I, I do think that there's a little bit of where they want to see Notre Dame join a conference because it eliminates that idea that somehow the Irish are special. And if they join a conference now, they're quote unquote, just like anyone else. Um, I feel like there's some of that underlying theme to a lot of these arguments, you know, because the whole idea that Notre Dame gets special treatment, I mean, I don't really see it. I, um, 
they kind of are operating under the same criteria as any other power five team, other than they don't have to play a conference championship game. But yeah. I think if you look at like the committee and their selection of teams, the one year Notre Dame made it, they were undefeated. So it really wasn't any argument. I think I'd be really interested to see if Notre Dame was 11 and one and didn't play a conference championship. And maybe they were competing for that last spot with a team that maybe was 12 and one and had yeah. won their conference. And I mean, people can say Notre Dame bias or whatever. Um, we don't have any data to show what would actually happen. It's all theoretical. The only thing you can really lean on, at least in my opinion, is go back and look at their previous decisions. Um, and I would, if I was a betting man, I would say that, that like I say, a 12 and one conference champion, Oklahoma or a 12 and one conference champion, Oregon would actually have an advantage over an 11 and one Notre Dame. So this perception of, of that they have an advantage by not playing a game. Um, I think there's evidence to show that that's not necessarily the case. So, yeah. And that's, um, you know, we saw the big 12 basically start a, a conference championship game. I think they realized that they, if they wanted to continue being in this playoff conversation or, um, any, anything like that, they, they kind of have to, right? And so I think that goes to what you're saying a little bit. The buzzword at the time was, quote-unquote, one less data point. That's what everybody kept saying, Yeah. that at the time it was Baylor and TCU, and they both were 11-1, and one and they were co-champions, and then Ohio State had the, the one more game uh, under their belt. Yeah, that's – that. I, man, that was a good season. The, um, now, the, the ACC – um, just to, so we have Clemson, we have Notre Dame. I mean, yeah, let me, let me ask a question here and yeah. kind of answer it. Cause this is how I've looked at it the last couple of years is, um, not necessarily through schedule, but you know, cause Clemson's going to play who they're going to play on the schedule and then get into the ACC championship game. And you don't know who that's going to be. And then, you know, perhaps the playoff and those are open ended questions, but like to me, it's more of what would the team look like if a team was going to beat Clemson, what would that team have to have in order to beat them? Yeah. And that's I, that's the question that I always look at it from. Yeah. And, and we've only really gotten to see it a couple times, right. With uh, basically in the playoff against an Alabama against an LSU and I mean, on one hand, you're going to need, uh, I, I would say from the teams that have been competitive or that have beaten them in the past, number one, I think it starts with a defensive backfield. I think you need athletes, you need players who can keep up with them because Clemson's been a receiver factory and they've had a couple good quarterbacks now start to come through there as well with Deshaun Watson and now Trevor Lawrence and um, I, I think if you can at least minimize some of those big plays, cause we know they're going to find a couple, but if you're letting up two 60 yard touchdown passes in the first half, it's over. I mean, when they start rolling, they're rolling. So for me, it, it sounds weird, but I, I think it starts with some defensive backs and we've seen that with some of the teams that have been able to beat them. And I mean, LSU was historically good last year but that was still a pretty close game for a lot of it and I think you can credit a Derek Stingley um, or, or some of these defensive backs that LSU had last year as a large part of kind of keeping them under control 
I, I think if you can make them convert third downs and, and really string together a drive and eliminate some of those big plays, that's what it's going to take because I, I think that's a huge reason that they, they've been beating everybody. And um, obviously you're going to need an offense that can put up points because they're going to score. It's just a matter of, I mean, you're going to have to put up 30. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, you got to be physical and all that, but I, I think it starts with the defensive backfield in, in kind of a weird way. Well, to your point, um, so like, you know, eliminating the explosion plays and, uh, you know, if you can't stop them, keep the ball out of their hands. Right. Yeah. So, um, my, what I looked at last year with Clemson was I felt if anybody was going to beat them, it was going to have to be somebody who could line up and run the ball right at them. Um, Ohio state almost did it right yep. but during the season. I thought the best example of that was the Texas A&M game uh, where, I mean, A&M literally tried to grind this game to a halt, like limit possessions, limit number of plays um, and play it close to the vest. And it was a real, like, I don't know, 28 to 10 or something real ugly like that where A&M just didn't have the horses, but that was, you could see that was their game plan. Well, mm-hmm. going into the season, what I felt was, that that was the formula Clemson when they won the national championship the year before they had what four defensive linemen that were all NFL guys it was maybe the best defensive line that we've seen in this era of college football and it showed up in the in the playoff against Notre Dame and against Alabama I said okay well you're going to replace all those guys so somebody's going to test you and find out if the next group of guys are just as good Um, this year if I was looking for what would a team have to have to beat a Clemson? Clemson is replacing four of their offensive linemen. Now, some of the guys that they're filling in with are pretty highly recruited guys. They're still new guys. So if you you talk about limiting explosion plays, what's the best pass defense is a great pass rush, right? So if there there is a team that can line up with four down and get after the quarterback and defend behind that with seven and not have to do blitz packages and things like that, now you're wondering – you know, is Clemson equipped to beat that? I mean, I think the, the, you know, knee jerk answer is, well, they're Clemson. They've got a bunch of dudes. I mean, yeah, they got Trevor Lawrence. They got Travis Etienne. Any team in America would be happy to have yeah. that. <laughs> D Higgins is gone. Justin Ross is injured. He's out for the year. Yeah, he's out. Right. So now that drops off quite a bit. And now you're kind of melding into what you were suggesting is, you know, if you've got a back end that can match up with some of these next guys, now maybe the the picture isn't as clear as far as Clemson just being able to shoot you up down the field and 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 beat you that way. So I think it's also worth mentioning that Clemson is losing four of their top five tacklers on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, they've only got one defensive back returning from their starting group. Again, this is a team that you know they don't rebuild, they reload. Yeah, it's Ohio uh, State, you, it's Alabama. Matters, especially when we're talking about the schedule changes uh, and there's no you know, opening the season against Georgia State or something like that, you know, you're diving into the league schedule where you're playing power five people. Um, it just takes a couple of bounces of the ball a certain way, and now those perceived gaps between you and your opponent aren't necessarily as large. So that yeah, that I mean, would be we, the team I was looking at. So. We came, what, two, two yards short of North Carolina taking them down last year. So it's as much as they seem invincible, there there have been some chinks in the armor. Um, and and I think 12 week season, I mean, that's the reality of it. 
it's a 12 week season. So when I looked at it, I thought Miami, you know, they might have yep. some def- a defensive line to do Before that. Before that, the opt outs, they're the, the Miami pass rush was going to be something to really watch. Um, obviously, if it was uh, Roche was the one who opted out, or um, there was one of the two Correct. pass rushers, but Rousseau. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, Pittsburgh is another still, one. And they still have Quincy Roche. He transferred from Temple. And yep. they have um, Jalen Phillips, who transferred from UCLA two years ago. So they still have a pretty good crew there if, if they, in fact, get to put them on the field. Yeah, they can make some noise. Pitt is another one you mentioned. They have a great defensive line. Did Twyman yeah, opt a, out? Yeah, he opted out, too. I mean, this is what's kind of a bummer is you put this on paper and you start to get excited about some of these <laughs> matchups. And, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to get to see them the way that that we thought. But they still have they have another they're another team that has three defensive ends. I mean, going yep. back to our guy Narduzzi, if there's one thing he can do is he can recruit defensive linemen. He can find them and develop them. Um, they have Patrick Jones and Deslin Alexander were their defensive ends last year. Um, they've had 14 sacks. And uh, as a pair, and then uh, their best guy actually missed all of last year. That's uh, Rashad Weaver. He got hurt with an ACL. Um, so they're going to be able to roll those guys in and out. Um, he's a top 25 guy in the league if if he's healthy. So um, I wouldn't sleep on them. Yeah, th- there's. I, I I do think the ACC has gotten a little bit interesting. I mean, uh, Louisville under Scott Satterfield last year took a big step forward. They got uh, an interesting quarterback that I think could make some noise. They could sneak up on somebody. Um, you you have Florida State, and Miami that are those kind of sleeping giants, and um, I don't know Virginia under Brocko Mendenhall. He's he's a coach that I like. I, I like his style, but I don't know if they just have the I don't know if they have the dogs to get it done against the. I had Virginia team. pinpointed last year. Um, I had them pinpointed for nine and three, and I thought they would win the coastal, and they did a nice job of hitting it right on the nail there. Yeah. But if you watch their games, I mean, Bryce Perkins, he, you know, if, if he was their offense as much as any one guy can be their offense, yep. and that's going to be really tough to to replace. So. Um, I love their, I love Bronco Mendehall. I'll just say that. Like, I think he's a coach's coach. Yep. Um, you know, it took him year, a couple of years there to develop the program to where they, they are now, but they're, they're finally kind of built in his image, which is built to last. I think um, defensively they're tough. I mean, they've got some guys that are going to be national football league guys. Yeah, especially Bryce some Hall of their at edge. corner for sure is one. Yeah, he got hurt last year, and yeah. I, that was kind of a bummer. But, like, Charles Snowden, he's a outside linebacker. He's 6'7". I was going to say, watch, that's the dude who's, like, six foot. Yeah, He is a freak. Like, when you watch a game, the first thing you say is, who is that guy? You know, because he just jumps out at you. But they've got a number of guys like that in their linebacking core that are all really good. And they've got eight guys back on defense. That's going to keep them in games. But mm-hmm. I just think that offensively they just aren't going to have enough firepower um, they named a starting quarterback, and my feeling was they had two guys competing for it, and one was a transfer from Mississippi State, uh, Keaton Thompson, and I felt like if Thompson didn't win the job that they were going to be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, ha- that's what happened. So, you know, they're probably, you know, they were in a normal world where we, um, you know, didn't have all this going on and we were playing 12 games, they would be a borderline bowl team. But um, can't take away what they did last year. I mean, that was a yeah. phenomenal season to be for them but they're probably taking a step back whereas some of these other teams like you mentioned um are gonna north carolina is everybody's 
sexy pick. There's a team that I think benefited a ton from the scheduling change because they, to me, they were in danger of going through an off season with a ton of hype mm-hmm. and then having to play at central Florida and then Auburn where they were going to play them in Atlanta. Yep. And if you go out and go, Oh, and two after what, nine months of everybody talking about how great you were going to be. Um, that's a tough, tough pill to swallow. Right. Um, I think they could come back from it, but it definitely would have brought the thing back to earth a little bit, but now with the schedule change, it, it actually, um, their Vegas odds went up uh, as a result of that. And I, I agree with that. I think that now the thing looks a little more favorable if they can just play within the league. Yeah. And they I don't got, think, I don't think they get Clemson. So that's a positive. Right. Yeah. And they got Sam Howell, who's one of the most exciting quarterbacks in college football. The kid can, I mean, he can flat out throw it. Uh, that was one that I, I was watching a couple games of them last year and man, he, he really flashed. Um, now, now you know the the story of how Sam Howell ended up at North Carolina. Well, he he was a pretty local kid, and he he was going to go somewhere else, right? Is he that... was originally committed to Florida State. Yeah. So take last year and imagine if Howell was at Florida State <laughs> and North Carolina didn't have him, and how different yeah. this would look. I mean, it's how important one player is. Um, I'll be honest. I I saw Howell was going to start for them, and I went, okay, well. And I'm a big Mac Brown fan. I've loved Mac Brown since he was at Texas. Um, I know the hire itself wasn't very popular. They, you know, people said, "Oh, they're why are they hiring this old guy?" Washed you know? up, yeah. Yeah, like you know, they should go with a young coach, bring some new energy. And um, but does anybody have more energy than Mac no. Brown at this point? <laughs> he's on camera, he's yeah, dancing. No like you know, the, the players love him. You can just feel it. You can see it. It's a great situation. He's the best but, man. But I thought they're going to take their lumps if they're starting a true freshman. And then I watched them the first couple games. They played South Carolina and in the opener, and this was no ordinary freshman. So um, I ate it a little bit on that. I had them, I think, two or three wins, and and they ended up winning seven. So yeah. And again, two yards up, away up from away. beating Clemson. Yeah, I mean, tremendous. I love Phil Longo, their offensive coordinator. So he was he was at Ole Miss uh, when Hugh Freeze was there, and mm-hmm. he's been a couple different places. But he's I, – I don't know his personality. I can't tell you if he's head coaching material, but if somebody is looking for a, a guy who can develop an offense, that's that's your guy. I mean, they do so many creative things scheme-wise yeah. um, and just let Powell distribute. I mean, they're – they're in a great position as far as uh, the talent that they have and kind of unleash those weapons uh, on the ACC. But as a whole, this league is better. I think that that's something we should highlight, right? The ACC has taken its lumps a little bit in the, in the media, you know, as far as reputation, Clemson and everyone else, this, this league as a whole is better. Yeah. I think think so too. When you go through the list of teams, like I said, Louisville had a big turnaround you have Pitt, you have Virginia. Virginia Tech is somebody that we didn't even talk about that, you know, they got a pretty good program over there as well. So um, there, there's a lot of schools, I think, that are at least trending in the right direction that in a couple of years we might be looking at this conference totally different. Um, now, it, just to get to a, a little prediction here, I mean, can can somebody take down Clemson? Is are they a write-in for the for the ACC championship, or do you think somebody else has the capability to really knock them off? So I think that in a normal situation, if you only had to play them once, 
So now you're talking about a team from the Coastal that didn't have to cross over with them during the regular season. I would like their odds uh, of being able to go toe-to-toe with Clemson. The, now, not saying that I'd pick them to win, but you give them a shot, right? Um, but under the new setup, now there's no divisions. And the, with the increase in number of conference games, the number of teams that fit that uh, criteria is is ever shrinking. Uh, North Carolina is the one, right, that could see Clemson in the title game and not have already played them. Notre Dame does not fit that criteria. So I think in these setups, and I think you see it in the Big 12, and I know we're going to talk about the Big 12, but that's like a setup where you play everybody and then you're guaranteed to play them again in the ch- championship game. That favors the blue blood because they just are more talented and the more times that you put them out there, uh, their odds of, of winning go up. So, um, I don't, I, I, I know I'm, if it's Clemson versus the field, I'm picking Clemson. Yeah. Um, Notre Dame is probably the team that matches up the best with them on paper. North, North Carolina got a huge break by not having to play them. Um, Miami is probably a team that, you know, if you're talking about talent that could probably be in the neighborhood, and I love them with the new offensive coordinator is Rhett Lashley. If anyone knows that name, um, his roots go back to Auburn. So they're going to kind of run that Gus Malzahn, but he also has some done some stuff under um, Brian Harson. Uh, so that's like the Boise state coaching tree. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a blend and then they get Derek King as their quarterback. So um, the, the offense is going to look a lot different with the asterisk being no spring practice, lack of opportunity to practice in the fall as well maybe this doesn't develop as quickly as we would have liked. Um, but I and still think it's a fascinating subplot because what Miami's really been missing the last couple of years is great quarterback play. They've had great athletes all around offense and defense. Um, I would not count them out of, of the mix if they can just let De'Eric King make plays. And yeah, he's he's as electric as anybody in college football the last time we saw him, so – well, they were, they were six and seven last year. And just to give you some numbers here. So they had, uh, they lost to North Carolina in that game. They were a 71% win probability. They lost to Virginia tech. They were 82% win probability. They lost to Georgia tech in overtime, mm-hmm. which I mean, I, I watched that game over a couple times and they, they were 72% win percentage. They had no business losing that game. They lose to Florida and International. They were a 91% win probability. <laughs> Who else has a season like this? So yeah. all they, they need to get the ball to swing back and bounce in their direction a little bit, and now all of a sudden they're, they're at least back in, in contention just, just by helping themselves out and getting out of their way with turnovers and kicking game mistakes. And I mean, if it, if it could go wrong, it did go wrong for them last year and they're not as but but even that being said they're not as far off as I think some people perceive them to be um, from being a um, uh, someone that can make some noise I don't know if I want to call them a contender yet but someone yeah. that can make some noise in the league so I I'll take Clemson I mean I, I think Notre Dame could beat them once I, I think they certainly have uh, a talented quarterback like you mentioned they they're always going to have a great offensive line and I think you know they they got the dogs to do it once I I don't know if they could do it twice and like you mentioned they they would have to they play in the regular season and in the theoretical matchup in the um, conference championship game so I I think it, it just comes down to Clemson I I think 
that uh, there's a lot of teams that could sneak up on them in a given week. But when we're talking about crowning a champion at the end of this season, um, I, it, it has to be Clemson. I would be very surprised if it, if it was anybody else. So um, are, are you with me there or are you really going out on a limb and taking somebody else? I'm, I'm with Clemson. I think we're <laughs> going to take the safe, the safe pick here in, in 2020. Yeah, that's probably smart. Um, so going over to the Big 12, uh, there there's some interesting storylines, I think, to follow. You have Oklahoma that's breaking in a new quarterback, Spencer Rattler, who was you know, a top-rated recruit a couple years back. You have Texas with Sam Ellinger in his, like, it feels like 15th season in Austin. Uh, that They're, they're going to be back. They're, they got a bunch of returning starters. They got some... NFL type guys. I know Sam Cosme on the offensive line. They got a safety that's really good. Oklahoma State is a team that some people were really excited about. You know, kind of everything lined up for them this year with a ton of returning starters, returning quarterback, probably arguably the best skill group in the conference with Tylen Wallace at receiver. You have Chuba Hubbard. Um, Iowa State is always interesting. Baylor is breaking in a new head coach, but they got some talent coming back. Um, yeah, what, what, were you, what are you kind of looking for here as far as some storylines to follow in the Big 12? So here's the first thing that I'll say is that I feel like everyone is penciling or maybe putting it in Sharpie, yeah. Oklahoma, to the Big 12 championship game. And I'm not ready to do that. I do not think it is a foregone conclusion that Oklahoma simply is a plug and play situation at quarterback. I know Spencer Rattler is highly recruited um, and highly celebrated. You know, he comes with the five stars and every, all the talent that comes with it. Um, it, The one thing that I would give in his favor is I, I think Lincoln Riley earns every dollar to his name. The guy is a tremendous, tremendous football coach. Um, you know, I don't, he gets a lot of credit and I don't think he gets enough, but if you go back and watch their games the last couple of years, whether it was Baker Mayfield, whether it was Kyler Murray, and especially last year when it was Jalen Hurts, yeah. they rely a ton on just letting the quarterback make plays. And Spencer Rattler has to prove that he can do that. Mm-hmm. And I got to see it. Because that now the whole thing looks different if you don't have a pure playmaker at quarterback. When the play breaks down, make something happen with your legs and go run and get a first down or extend the play and find a guy wide open you know, for a chunk play. I mean, they do a ton of that um, over the last three years. Um, you know, with some of it's coaching and some of it's just a player being a really good player. Yeah. Um, so, and if those things start stop, you know, happening now Oklahoma starts to come back to the pack, back to Oklahoma state, back to Texas and back to Iowa state, who I would say are those three are probably the top contenders. Cause even last year, Oklahoma was 12 and one, right. And everybody says, Oh, well, Oklahoma's in the playoff again. Of course they're in the playoff again. But if you watched them play last year, I mean, they were uh, a first down spot against TCU away from that game going into overtime. They were a two point conversion away from losing to Iowa state. Um, they, they were down what 28 to nothing or 
you know, at halftime against uh, Baylor and came roaring back. Mm -hmm. And then, then they rematched and it was, you know, Baylor loses their quarterback and the game still goes to overtime. I mean, the margins are slim. So, um, and they lost to Kansas state in a game that they were just flat out outplayed. I mean, like there, there wasn't really any gimmicky stuff going on there. So that's the straightest way to say it, right? Flat out outplayed Kansas state, I think scored like four or five possessions in a row there in the second half. And, Oh, you had no answers. So, Mm. Um, they're a great program. They're definitely in everybody's conversation for a reason. I just am not prepared to separate them from everyone else and just move on to, okay, well, who are they going to play in the championship game? Yeah. Cause I don't think it's that clear cut. That would yeah, be my like starting point. We talked about Clemson with, you know, Hey, it's Clemson and everybody else in the ACC and with Notre Dame, it's, it's a little bit different of a season, but I, I think yeah, it's it Notre Dame or um uh Oklahoma is a little farther away from that than Clemson in terms of just being the king of your conference and yeah, I mean Texas is any given year they have the talent. It's just a matter of putting it all together and with a veteran quarterback, you know, maybe this is the year that they really take that turn. Um but I do think there's some interesting teams. So yeah, Oklahoma State I I've seen some national people out there pick them to win the conference. I mean, they, they have a ton of talent and obviously there was some weird stuff going on earlier this off season with them that, you know, we won't really get into, but um, it's, if they can really come together and, and really play competitive football all year long, I think they definitely have the talent to beat anybody in this conference. Um it's weird talking about the Big 12 with TCU being like an afterthought uh, because Gary Patterson's had them so good for so long that it's been two or three years now since we've really seen them competing for anything in terms of uh, the national picture. So, um, yeah, I, I guess is there, you know, you mentioned that it's, it, there's obviously a chance that Oklahoma goes down this year. Um, who would be the most likely team if you were to predict anybody other than Oklahoma to, to win the conference, who are the other teams that really have a legitimate shot and do they have a legitimate shot? So, I mean, what you're talking about is, is getting into a one game situation. Okay. Because the, 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 to me, the big 12 is such a unique deal is that you don't have to be first. You just have to be one of the top two. So um, I kind of think about it in, a ter- in terms of a multiple team situation and then get to Arlington and then yeah. you've got your one game playoff. Okay. For the, for the conference championship. Um, I'll start with Texas. Um, so this is, this is what I wrote down. This is what I said about Texas last year. As I said, quote, expectations are based on reputation. Yep. So, and I know that, that a lot of people probably share that feeling on a year-to-year basis. I'm usually very pro-Texas. Yeah. Um, I thought in 2018, um, you know, they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, that was a great year for them, and they made great strides. Uh, they beat Oklahoma in the regular season that year. You know, they had some good things happen. The program was heading in the right direction. But this thing is not always linear, and they lost. They graduated a ton going into 2019, but mm-hmm. because they had had that win at the end of the year and the quarterback was back, 
Everybody he, just jumped on the bandwagon. And he made that uh, on the stage at the Sugar Bowl where he goes, I'm back, or Texas well, or well, something. Well, sure, and, and he should do that. He yeah, should yeah. do that. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's for the fans. That's for his teammates. He's got the moxie. He's got the bravado. I still think he's a great quarterback, one of oh, the best in, in college football. And I think that's what puts them in the mix this year. But yeah. I just think last year between the youth and then on top of that, you know, they couldn't even develop their youth because they were decimated by injuries, especially on defense. Um, the thing just never got going. And, and I thought that this year was actually the year that you would see it more so uh, all come together versus last year where they were going to have some growing pains. Now, I can't say I thought they were going to lose five games, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't necessarily thought, think that they were a, a, a conference title contender based on what they were um, bringing to the stage there. Whereas this year, now all those guys are, are older, more experienced. Um, and Ellinger's a senior. I mean, that's, he's the guy that's, he's poised to have a big year. So to me, he's like a step away from being like a Tebow in terms of the way he plays and the leadership he brings. Um, he's a good enough thrower. I mean, if you go look at any of these metrics in terms of his passing, yeah. he doesn't get enough credit for how I mean, good of a thrower he is. He may not be a pro guy, but on the college stage, he's just as accurate and makes just as many big-time throws as any of these other guys. Yeah, you go back to the game against LSU last year. I mean, he played out of his mind, and that was a close game, and it seems crazy to say that with how good LSU was last year, but Texas hung with them for four quarters in that non-conference game early in the year, so... So I don't have all my numbers in front of me here, but here's one I'll give you just to put him in a neighborhood here. So he was tied for first in the NCAA last year, making throws versus the blitz. Mm -hmm. And he was tied for first with Trevor Lawrence. And number three on that list was Joe Burrow. And number four on that list was Tua. So those are some pretty good company. Now, am I saying (laughs) that he's as good as those guys? I don't think I'm saying that. But what I am saying is that he, he deserves some respect. Um, for what he brings to the table. And he's a great piece to build around if you're building a championship team. Um, they did replace both their coordinators. That I know gives a lot of people pause, yeah. you know, for for uh, continuity's sake and so yeah, forth. Yeah, especially um, in a weird year, right? Yeah, but I mean, in terms of the, the recruiting and the talent that they have, um, you know, there's this metric out there. They they call it the blue chip ratio. You follow the blue chip ratio there. So that they're one of 15 teams um, that exceed the uh, threshold for what would be considered a national. They've been recruiting at a national championship level. Now, that's the question is, um, you know, once you get talent in there, can you develop the talent? And that's, the I think, the question everybody has about Tom Herman. Now, I will offer you this. I, I got to meet Tom Herman in person at one point. Oh, so, yeah. Um, so Tom Herman, when he had just gotten hired at Ohio State, and um, that season, he, ha- he was the offensive coordinator at Iowa State, and I watched the game on Friday night where Iowa State um, beat Oklahoma State. That would have been 2011, because that was the year Oklahoma State went 11-1 and won, uh, and got left out of the national championship game. Right, that was so, Justin Blackman and... Yeah, and that was a really good team, but they went to Ames on a Friday night and lost, uh, I think, by two or 
um, it was it was a down to the wire type thing. It might even have been overtime. But Tom Herman was the co coordinator for Iowa State, who I think was six and six that year, and just had a great night. Um, and then he got hired at Iowa State. And Bruce Feldman had written a big article about you know the 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 whole week leading up to that game and you know how they went about pulling off that great upset and so forth and so then I got to meet him in person and I said hey you know I I just read about you in the paper <laughs> you know like so that was kind of cool but I can tell you within like five minutes of just talking with the guy you could feel that he had that presence and I said this guy's going to be the next big time coach so yeah. it really didn't surprise me when he rose up the ranks he went to Houston and then he went to Texas and um you know, I, I, I have good feelings about them. I know that people have questions and, you know, Texas is a tough job, right? I mean, they really have been in the crosshairs since Mac Brown left. Um, but I think that this would be a year that if they were going to get it done, um, they've got a lot of the good pieces and it definitely starts with the quarterback. Now, I know you wanted to talk about Oklahoma state, Oklahoma state has a ton of guys back. They got nine guys back on offense. They got 12 of their top 13 tacklers. Mm -hmm. And then the, um, you know, the, the stars of their team, right? You got Chuba, who's back at running back, Chuba Hubbard, uh, Tylen Wallace. He's coming off an ACL, but he's an All-American caliber wide receiver. Um, but I think what really makes them a true contender is the fact that they ha they're going to have enough defense. They're not going to have a lights-out defense. That's just not their mo. But in the in a league of a wide-open league like the Big 12, they're gonna, they have the potential to have enough defense to slow people down, and I think that's what really makes them dangerous. So um, you got to include them right alongside the Longhorns for sure. Yeah, it's and they're going to need Spencer Sanders, their quarterback, to take a little bit of a leap forward too. But you know, you have so many guys and so much continuity back, and especially now in a year where you know a lot of people missed spring practices, most people are missing out on a lot of these opportunities to get you know connected with the rest of your guys and. Oklahoma State's in a pretty unique position where most of them have already been playing together for a long time. So you're you're missing out on some extra reps, sure. But when you look at them relative to another school, they, with that continuity, I think just have an advantage built in that they've been together, they've been playing together, and, and they kind of have that feel. You know, most of their offensive line is coming back. Their whole defensive line is coming back. So those guys who are really relying on each other and a lot relying on that continuity. It's, it's really good to have. And I, I really think they could make some serious, they could make a run at, at, at Oklahoma this year. I think that Bedlam game is going to be awesome. And I think it could be a huge factor in, in this uh, conference championship. The one bummer of, again, of many that the pandemic has laid upon us is that before the scheduling uh, situation was turned on its head, we had a, it was all set up to where Texas and Oklahoma State were going to play in the last week of the season. And the likely scenario was that it was going to be winner yep. goes to the championship game and we were going to get some great theater. So I know that that game, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I know that that game is not last anymore. So I was kind of bummed out about that. That would have been a great you know, Thanksgiving weekend uh, classic right there for people that like Big 12 football. Yeah, um, I'm sure you know we'll still get something, but unfortunately, that was a uh, a casualty of the situation. So, yeah, and you so you know with the Big Twelve, you have Oklahoma, you know the the odds on favorite to win the conference, but 
Um, like when you look at the Vegas odds, it's, it's Oklahoma and Texas is right there. Oklahoma State isn't too far back. And then from there, it, it takes a pretty big leap to Iowa State, TCU, Baylor. They're bringing in a new head coach, and it's going to be maybe a little transition year. Um, the rest of the conference is pretty shaky right now. I mean, West Virginia, they they started trending up a little bit last year, but I don't think we can expect too much out of them. Kansas State, they they have a quarterback. They have a head coach that I really like coming from North Dakota State. But, you know, are they going to make some noise in terms of, like, winning the conference? No, but I, I think, you know, they showed last year in beating Oklahoma that, you know, in any given week they could play with anybody. Texas Tech, I, I think they've kind of lost that magic a little bit. I, I think when Mike Leach left, he he left a lot of energy in that program. And since he's been gone, I, we just haven't really seen that. Even when Cliff Kingsbury was there, they were winning like five or six games. It's not like they were, you know, really competing for anything. And obviously Kansas is going to take a while to to really do anything there, even with less miles who, I don't know, it's an interesting hire. Maybe he can bring – he's brought in some recruits to Kansas, which is something in itself. But um, who who do you got winning the conference? Who do you got a, as a potential maybe sleeper? Is there anybody uh, in the middle of that pack that could be Yeah, some noise? so I'll start with the sleeper team. I think everybody's sleeper is Iowa State. Uh, and I think the big reason has got to be the quarterback. It's Brock Purdy. Um, If he's not a household name yet, he certainly will be. He's a really good college football player that I think he's a pro guy. I really do think so. I don't know if he's a starter, but he might be one of those guys that if he's not an NFL starter, he's like a 10-year backup. He's a very talented guy. But um, unfortunately, um, I know that like for a lot of the the underdog-minded college football fans that want to root for an Iowa State, I actually wonder if they've peaked. And and that's a weird thing to say because Matt Campbell might be doing as well as anyone could ever do at Iowa State, but this might be their ceiling, like seven or eight wins yeah. and just being a thorn in people's side. Um, this, you know, two years ago was, was probably their best team. And last year um, people had a lot of high expectations for them, but they, you know, they put both their best receiver was Hakeem Butler. He went to the Cardinals. Their best back was David Montgomery. He went to the bears and my thought was just that's a lot of offense for an Iowa State to lose and replace, and it's not a reload type of situation. And I thought it showed up early this year. It's the line; they're going to lose four offensive linemen, and I think in games where you know they're going to they're going to have to score with people uh, to to keep pace with the Oklahoma States and the Oklahomas of the world, um, that might really become an, an issue. So if they can't. Uh, develop their offensive line in a hurry you mentioned Kansas State Um, Kansas State was a bowl game way from like basically having like the perfect season for Kansas State you know they they beat Oklahoma they won the the rivalry that we all know as Farmageddon they beat (laughs) Iowa State Um, they won at Mississippi State I don't know if you watched that game that was like a sleepy noon game in like week three K-State just lined up and bashed them I mean it was impressive so and they were eight and four, um, you know, if they win the bowl game, I mean, everyone's head over heels for Chris Kleeman. I, I you know, I know you mentioned the, the you know, coaching situation. 
Skylar Thompson, he's their quarterback. It feels like this is his 17th year of college yep. football. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's the steady hand there. Um, but their turnover their turnover on the roster is, is pretty significant. So I think if they can get back to a bowl, that, then that one's um, – uh, that would be an achievement and kind of keep things going in the right way. Even if they reduce a little bit in the win column, um, you know, they're still headed in the right direction. Now, Baylor, you mentioned Baylor and their turn turnover on the roster. I'm a little worried about them because, you know, they had probably a program year last year. Um, but between, you know, the coaching change uh, and graduation, especially on defense, like by the end of the year, they might've been my favorite team to watch play defense. Mm -hmm. They had a nose guard last year, Bravey and Roy, who's now in the NFL, who was about, uh, he, if he was six foot tall, he was, he was five, two, yep. and he was about 330 <laughs> pounds wide, but he was just an absolute plug in the middle. And, and he made the whole defense go. Chris Miller was their Rover, their safety. Uh, you go watch the second Oklahoma game. They basically put him in spy mode early in the game against Jalen Hurts. And, you know, I had watched them play Kansas State early in the year. He came up and made a hit that was so loud that I, I, I made, made my whole family watch it on replay. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy was just like a torpedo out of the secondary. And, you know, he was like that in pretty much every game. And he has some collisions with Jalen Hurts in that Big 12 championship game that are – you know, they could feel it and hear it on Sunday. So, but they only got two guys back on defense. And I think that more than anything is going to um, really be a, a big hill for them. Uh, so, you know, they might be a team that could pull an upset, but I don't know if they're um, going to be consistent enough. And Charlie Brewer, their quarterback is back, but I worry about his health. Yeah. Um, he he dealt with some concussions. Issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, that that's a big question mark as well. If they can keep him healthy, if he can keep him in games. Um, but at such a week to week proposition, it's hard to, to put their chips in. You mentioned Texas tech. Now Texas tech is interesting to me because they, they went moved on from Clint, Clint, Cliff Kingsbury, who that's like, you know, the golden child at, at Texas tech. So, and then they brought in Matt Wells. And I thought the point of bringing in Matt Wells was that they wanted to look different. But if you watched them last year, they looked exactly the same. <laughs> yep. So I'm I, waiting. That's to just see. their brand at this point, right? Like you have to lean into it. There, yeah, there may be something to that, but I thought I'd see them run the ball a little bit more, and and maybe they will over time. Like Utah State, even for being a wide open team where Matt Wells was before, you know, they had a reputation within that conference for being pretty salty on defense. So. Um, hopefully, they can start to evolve a little bit because I don't think you can just shoot it out. Uh, and lose games, you know, 62 to 55 every week and, and keep your job. So, um, but they do get their quarterback healthy, Alan Bowman, you know, we only saw a little bit of him two years ago, and then a little bit of him at the beginning of last year, and he's just been uh, banged up. So, but he's a big quarterback prospect. He's about six, four, and he's got a nice arm. If they can keep him upright and keep him healthy. Now they become a little bit of a, um, a spoiler as well in, in a league full of them. And then, you mentioned TCU. I'm with you. Like, what a what a weird universe that they've dropped yeah. off the way that they have. Um, I do think they've got some offensive talent, um, but for whatever reason, for them to go five and seven last year to me was um, kind of inexcusable. I, I hate to use that word because I I'm such a Gary Patterson fan, and and the guy has been so consistent over the years. In fact, when you mentioned Luke Fickle before, this was what I the analogy I wanted to make was that. 
I wonder if Luke Fickle with that six-year contract, if he could be the, the, the Gary Patterson of Cincinnati was kind of what yeah. I was going to going to mention there you know and and who knows what the future holds with conference realignment or anything like that if Cincinnati could find their way into a into a major league that you know I mean might say five six years nobody knows what the college football landscape's going to look like but that's you know that's how I feel about Gary Patterson is he's he's loyal as they come within the profession and um, you just wonder what's going on there and defensively they're going to be good Um, now they had major quarterback issues last year but um Max Duggan, he was playing as a freshman, and I don't think that was originally plan A. You know, they had a bunch of injuries, and their their, their original quarterback within that group had transferred to uh, – he's at Missouri now, Sean Robinson. So um, I think Duggan got thrown into the fire a little early, and I think, you know, just getting him a little more experienced might help their cause uh, in some of these games. I mean, he had some – some games earlier where he's under 50% passing and he was thrown for 94 yards in a game that they won, if you can believe that at Purdue. So, um, but you're not going to win consistently unless you perform a little bit better at that. So, but that's kind of uh, just a couple of thoughts as, as far as uh, the, the lay of the land in, in the big 12, um, as far as, a, as at the top a championship, um, I mean, if you're, you're probably going Oklahoma in the championship game, uh, and then, you know, Texas and Oklahoma State, whoever wins that game, uh, I believe the game is in uh, is in Stillwater. So at that point, I think you'd have to kind of lean um, towards the Cowboys, but that's a flip a coin kind of proposition. And honestly, I could see a situation where you get a three-way tie, to be completely honest, between those three teams. Yeah, that uh, that Texas Oklahoma State game. I just had this pulled up. It is in Stillwater, so Oklahoma State's got that at home, and I I really think that could be the difference, right? And I man, I I just I want to have some fun, and I I want to go on a limb and and say Oklahoma State to win the conference. I mean. If there's going to be a year in the relatively near future where Oklahoma gets knocked off, I think this would be the year where they do actually have a question mark at quarterback. Like there's, there's no reason to believe that Spencer Rattler isn't going to be the guy, but also we haven't seen it. So um, man, their defense is always going to be a problem with them and, and with Oklahoma state returning all of their guys. I, I just think that in, in kind of a weird year, uh, in a year where Oklahoma state's schedule actually lines up pretty well, their first two games are uh, West Virginia and Kansas, and then they get a bye week So they're going to start off the year strong with two good wins and then get into a bye week before playing Baylor, which is their first kind of interesting matchup. But I think the schedule lines up really well. Oklahoma's first three games are Kansas State, Iowa State, and Texas. Like, I could very much see a situation where they slip up early in the year, and and then that makes it a very interesting story where they're playing the whole season trying to get back into that point instead of kind of playing from ahead and and, uh, knowing that, hey, until we slip up, we're the guys, where if they lose one of those games early – I mean, it's a different mentality for the team. So I, I just, you know, I'm going to have some fun here. I'm going to take Oklahoma State to win it. In a, in a year of 
full unpredictability, why not? Right? Yeah, I mean, right. that would be a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the SEC, we'll, we'll wrap up there. Uh, we have, I mean, of course, this is the premier conference in college football. You have a lot of great teams. When they release the AP Top 25, of course, you're going to see a lot of SEC teams on there. Um, we we kind of talked about before we, we started recording, like you have an Alabama that's – they lost two games last year. One was uh, to LSU, obviously, and then you had the Auburn game at the very end of the year. It was, I think, a three-point game. Uh, by that point, Alabama had lost to a Tungvaluwa, and they were running their backup quarterback out there. But it, it just feels – the perception is like, man, that was a bad year for Alabama. but also, they lost two games, one to the eventual national champion and one to their rival in, in kind of a weird game with their backup quarterback. So they're obviously going to be in the mix. I mean, they, they have more talent than probably anybody in the country any given year. Uh, Georgia is a team that I think could really make some noise in the East. Florida is another team that that people seem to love. They have Kyle Trask coming back at quarterback and um, down Dan Mullen, I think has done a great job there. Um, you Tennessee is some people are loving Tennessee this year. I mean, they do every, every year, but they have a lot of returning starters. They won like their last six games of the year. So they had some momentum coming into the off season. Um, I I'm Auburn is, is a weird one. Any given year, they could beat anybody and they could lose to anybody, but, uh, they, they seem to have some fans in the media, um, I, I've loved what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky and they have arguably, you could say the best offensive line in America. And, and I think they could be very interesting, maybe not to win the East, but it, it wouldn't shock me if we were coming into the last couple games of the year and, and Kentucky still, you know, maybe not mathematically eliminated from the East. That That's a team that I really like. I love the way they play football. They, they run the ball strong on both sides of the line. Um, man, you got Texas A&M, who's, who's got some interesting storylines with Jimbo Fisher in his third year. Um, and then you have the Mississippi schools, both bring in new head coaches and Lane Kiffin going to Ole Miss. You have um, Mike Leach going to Mississippi State. It's going to be a fascinating year for the SEC. It always is. Uh, what what were some of the kind of biggest things that you were keeping an eye on going into this year? So I think the SEC East is a two-horse race. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said about like Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, Kentucky is a team that just knows who they are. Yep. You know, they know their identity. I love that. Um, it starts at the top. They're built to last. They're maybe not a national program, but they're a regional program. They're going to give the teams in their division and their conference fits. If you have to cross over with them and you're a Mississippi or somebody like that, you don't want to see that game on your schedule because they're going to beat you up, win or lose. I mean, they're very resilient is the word that I wrote down for them, ironically. Um, you know, because they, I mean, you think about what they lost two years ago, they lost Benny Snell, who was their all-time leading rusher in the entire program history. And they lost Josh Allen, who was, I think, a number three NFL draft pick. Yep. And they, that was the year they beat Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. So then people said, okay, are they built to last? And last year they go eight and five. They lose, 
you know, their whole roster of quarterbacks. <laughs> They're playing Lynn, Lynn Bowden and running what essentially is a single wing offense. Yep. And oh, that was they, awesome to watch. I mean, it was, it was so much fun to watch, but I mean, they're a one trick pony and they're still winning eight games and, and, you know, hats off to that entire program, the coaching staff, they did a great job. Um, and I think they're going to do pretty close to the same thing though. They would be in normal parameters, a bowl team, six, seven, maybe eight wins, Tennessee. Now, Tennessee talent wise last year was a nine win football team mm-hmm. who was seven and five. They lost the, the Georgia state game in, in week one. They lost to BYU week two in inexplicable fashion. They, they, they had them beat yep. and they gave up, a, they had a coverage bust and gave up a long pass and the game went to overtime and, and they ended up losing. Um, they, but you know, Jeremy Pruitt, you know, people had such mixed reviews on him. The guy obviously can coach and develop and win his locker room because you know, you look at how much better that they got through the year. Now the thing that worries me is can they be consistent at quarterback? Cause that even with the good finish in the year, it was still a revolving door. They got to find a guy and they got to stick with them. Yeah. They lost two receivers. In fact, three of their top four pass receivers are gone. The top two guys are NFL guys. That's not easy to lose, especially when you're talking about building uh, confidence at the quarterback position. You now you got a new cast of guys you're throwing to. I actually think they could be better this year and not win as many games, I guess is the, the long and the short yeah. of it. So, um, but there's, you know, they're still trending up. The recruiting's getting better. The running back, I don't know if you watched the Gator Bowl, but they played Indiana. Right. The running back is Eric Gray. At the end of the game, when they needed something, they just found every way they could possibly find to get him the ball. And he has like an extra gear compared to everybody else on the field. The kid is electric. Um, he's one of a bevy of, of backs that they've got. So there'll be a tough out. But I don't know if either of those teams is on the Georgia-Florida level. I think it's going to come down to those two teams. I don't think that I'm going out on a limb by saying that. No. Um, I think Florida doesn't get enough credit. I, I, I think that they're, a, they're a one lot more recruiting class away from being a national player. They're right on that doorstep. Um, but I think I like Georgia right now. I think, I mean, Georgia should already have a national championship under yeah. their belt. They let that thing, you know, I don't want to use the words blew it because I don't think that's fair to characterize it that way. That was a heavyweight title fight and Alabama hit the last punch. But they let that thing slip through their fingers. Maybe the next year was harder to swallow where they lost the the SEC championship game. But um, however you break it, I mean, it's going to come down to those two teams. I like Georgia. I think Kirby Smart has built, you know, one of the most physical football teams in America and you know, provided that we get there with the schedule, I, I think they're going to be in Atlanta playing for the SEC championship game. Now, the other side to me, you know, is wide open. You know, you, you look at it from a question mark standpoint, Alabama, um, they got to find a quarterback. Two is gone. I like Mac Jones, uh, but I don't know if he's a national championship quarterback. Bryce Young, he's a true freshman. Yeah. Uh, he's going to get in the conversation they're going to have to make a decision. And the last thing you want on a championship run is uncertainty at quarterback. They're going to have all the other pieces. They got Najee Harris. They got a quartet of receivers. You know, they got to make their decision at quarterback. Um, LSU, I like them a lot more until they lost their receiver. Um, but they're another team. They lost, you know, they're having a ton of roster turnover. Um, but I mean, you're replacing talent with talent. You know, I think the LSU culture is good. I don't think yeah. they're just going to fall off the map like they have in the past. Texas A&M is the 
team I know that's everybody's darling right now, but I'm selling Texas A&M because I, I just, Kellen Mond has not won me over. He's a tantalizing talent, but if you watch them at the end of the year, they run him. And that is not a endorsement of a big time quarterback. So um, he's a good college player. They can do a lot with him if they decide like, you know, who are we going to be? But if it, it comes down to you're playing Alabama, you're playing Georgia, you're playing Clemson, and he's got to sling it for them to win those games, that they're not my pick. So Auburn yeah. is the, the wild Texas card. A&M is interesting because they do have a lot of players coming back and their original schedule set up pretty nicely. But I'm kind of with you there. I, I just – I wasn't really buying into what everybody was saying with Hey, they're a real contender in the West. I, yeah, I don't know. I think we're blowing that up well, you, a little you bit. You made too much. a good point with the schedule because I think it was the combination of they have a senior quarterback. It's year three for Jimbo Fisher, which is usually when your recruiting starts to hit. And yes, the schedule. But now they don't have that schedule. Right. <laughs> so you know they were looking at being, you know, seven or eight and one maybe. Nine and one down the, I think it was nine and one down the stretch, maybe ten and zero, with LSU and Alabama at the end of the year. That was the original setup, and now you don't have that anymore. So, um, here's the the Auburn monkey wrench that I'll throw in here. Yeah, I think Auburn has the best quarterback of the four teams at the top of the West. I think Bo Nix is the they best could. quarterback. I think that you know when it comes down to these games, you know you're they're all going to play each other, and you need a guy to make a play to to win. I mean, the the kid is a better athlete than people give him credit for as a runner. And he's, you know, he's just as, if not more experienced than Mac Jones. He's more experienced than uh, Miles Brennan, who's going to be the quarterback at LSU. And, I mean, do you trust him less than Kellen Mond, who's been up and down his whole career? So, um, now Auburn has probably lost too much for me to, going on them to win the West, especially on defense. Yeah. But can they beat somebody they're not supposed to beat and and throw this whole thing upside down? I think absolutely. So that thing's wide open. Yeah. I I mean, again, we, we got the Jamar Chase news like 20 minutes before we, we came on here. So that definitely, you know, adds another wrinkle to all of this because I, I think you could make the argument he's a top five top 10 football player in America. I mean, the dude was insane last year and some of the numbers that he was putting up, but he was and, the best receiver in college football last year, but he couldn't go pro. Yeah, no. And, and there, are, you know, again, I, I follow the draft near religiously and, and there are people mocking him early, like in the top five, like as a top five pick, you know, we're talking Julio Jones, AJ green type of just, talent and yeah uh, losing that's gonna hurt especially in a year where you're already losing so much having him coming back as just a bona fide star playmaker was kind of I think one of the things that they would be leaning on especially early in the year like hey we're, we're breaking in a new quarterback we're breaking in a new offensive line but hey we can feed this guy and we know he can give us 100 yards every single week without even batting an eye. So um, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I, I think in the East, you're, you're probably right there. It's, it's Florida and Georgia in terms of being consistently great for the whole season and being in the mix to win that division. I'll take Georgia right now. I, I do think the quarterback 
issue is is a big one. I, I think people kind of overlook bringing in a transfer quarterback and saying, you know, hey, he's a great player and and he'll make it work. Like it it takes a lot to be a quarterback and timing and and all of that kind of stuff goes into it. Um, but Joe Burrow I, I, seems to think it'll work out okay for him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I th- I think uh, I think Georgia will be all right. They're just so talented on both sides. Their defense is going to be great this year. I I think so. Um, I'll take Georgia out of the East, and man, in, in a the West is going to be so interesting. But I just think Alabama, pissed off Alabama is not an Alabama you want to play. So I, I think they're going to come into this year pissed off. You know, they, they think they should win the national title every year and for good reason. So in a, in a year where they don't even make the playoff, I think Nick Saban's going to have them ready to go. And, and I would have a hard time betting money against them, right? If, if you told me, hey, Kevin, you got to bet a paycheck on one of these SEC West teams. I mean, it's going on Alabama, and, and I'm not really thinking twice about it, even though it's going to be, I think, an open year. Um it's just hard to bet against Nick Saban. Well, I'm going to make an appeal to the, to all the listeners and to the college football nation that um, usually Alabama is the villain. I'm going to make an appeal that everybody (laughs) should root for Alabama this year to make the sec championship game. And here's why is, you know, there's two storylines that you can root for. One is you can root for the underdog and that's fine. The other storyline, and what do we always love, you know, whether it's in the movies or whatever, we love, we love uh, any type of trilogy or blockbuster showdown. Yep. It's Alabama-Georgia is your, is your heavyweight showdown this year. You're guaranteed to get it once in the regular season. And then what do they always do? You know, whether it's in the boxing world or whether it's in Hollywood, you got to have a rematch. This is it right here. These two teams are set up to, to, to go at each other in Tuscaloosa, I think is where the first – is the first game in Tuscaloosa? I believe I so. Yeah, I can't remember what check, they – But I think you know, so. The schedules keep flipping around. But <laughs> I think it's in Alabama, and it was supposed to be week three, and I'm sure it's moved since then. But um, And then they would play again in Atlanta. If you want to see two great you know, top five football teams go at it, that's what you root for is you root for Alabama to win the West. You root for Georgia to win the East and you're going to get your, your Hollywood big screen title fight rematch in December in Atlanta. So I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to everybody to root for the tide. (laughs) If you want to see the best two teams play each other um, on December 19th, I believe it is. Um, I'm so happy money for that promo. I'm so happy you said that because this is a, a different topic for a different time because, and maybe we'll, we'll have you come back on and um, we could dedicate a whole episode to this because I drive some of my friends crazy with how staunchly I support um, a four or less team kind of championship situation because I like exactly what you just said. I love great teams playing against each other and having a great matchup. And yeah, we love the underdog. Everybody loves following that storyline when Boise state took down uh, Oklahoma and the Fiesta bowl a few years ago and, and all that kind of stuff is great. 
But when you get the opportunity to have an Alabama and Georgia play for a championship, when you have Alabama and Clemson going back and forth playing for championships, I, I love, love these blue bloods that are at the top of their game, that are at the top of the sport, showing, uh, you know, showing the country what great football looks like. And, yeah, when you have an Alabama and Georgia, I, I think that, that's valuable. And, and as much as we love the underdogs, I, I love great football games. So, so give me Alabama and Georgia 13 times a year and I'll watch it. Well, that's what makes college football so special compared to say the national football league, right? You'll never say that college football is sterile. You'll never say that college football is vanilla. There's, there's 130 flavors of division one FBS football teams You've got your blue bloods, you've got your powerhouses, right? You've got your underdogs, your, you've got your upstart teams. You've got something for everybody. That's what yep. makes college football Saturday great. And then if you turn it on on Tuesday, you can watch some action. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, man, I, I love the sport. And I, I hope everybody understands. And again, I, maybe I shouldn't even go down this rabbit hole because we, we got to wrap this thing up. But I hope everybody that that supports, hey, let's expand the playoff, 12 teams, 16 teams, I hope they know what what that means and what they'd be missing out on in terms of meaningful regular season games between great teams. And, uh, uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll come back on in a couple weeks here and and talk about that because uh, that's, that's something I could talk about for hours. You can leave the cliffhanger here for all the listeners is that if, if we, if we do reunite here, um, we're going to have, you're, they're going to have a tag team of, of two guys that are staunchly <laughs> anti-playoff expansion and we'll take on anybody out there who wants to argue us otherwise. <laughs> I love it. I, I need some support here. Cause I, I'm it's, serious. It's, it's man, a with... lonely world out there for <laughs> us four team playoff guys and want to preserve the bowl system. It is. No, it, it's, I drive my friend and all of my friends that are listening to this are probably laughing right now. Cause they, I drive them nuts with, with talking about just, no, we're, we can't change this. We can't expand this thing. But uh, before we get out of here, we, I need the, we need the pick first of all. So if, if it were SEC championship, Alabama, Georgia, uh, who do you got coming out alive there? I'm going Georgia. I, I think um, I think this is their year. Uh, this would be what the third time that they've getting they would be getting a chance to to knock Alabama off the throne. Um, uh, but I think it's more than just the odds. I, I think that they've been building, um, and I think that finally all that all that is going to pay off. You know, you can argue that maybe it should have paid paid off already, um, and they were really close, right? I mean, once in the uh, national championship and once in the SEC championship, I think. I think that uh, uh, Georgia follows through this time and they get them, uh, but expect it to be a classic and, and everybody gets their money's worth. So we're all winners in the end. Yeah, no. And and like I said, I'll, I'll probably lean towards Alabama just because uh, again, a, a pissed off Nick Saban team is, is not one that I want to bet against. So um, let's, let's wrap this thing up. I, I seriously really appreciate the, the time and coming on and it's, it's great talking to you. You know, like you said, it's, it's been a few years now, so, um, we'll definitely have to do this again. I, I love talking to people who love college football and, and I, I love talking football with you, especially. Um, so I, I appreciate the time. 
Um, everybody, you know, I, the Twitter is at coach Mike Mack. Is that correct? That's, that's the handle. I, I appreciate you throwing that out there. Yeah. Everybody so wants to talk college football. Uh, that's pretty much 12 months out of the year for me, along with coaching high school football, um, big college football, uh, follower. So, um, fandom fanatic whatever word you want to use it's not strong enough you know <laughs> for us that are in the in the pit here so uh, we love it and uh, especially our spartans you know we we can't wait to get them back on the field hopefully sooner rather than later yeah man it's it's uh like you said it's it's good to talk to you it's good to talk college football we'll definitely have to do this again soon um hopefully everything is you know everybody in the family like you know we were talking before this i mean i played for you, your brother, and your dad uh, in high school. So, yeah, I hope I hope the the family's doing all right. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's safe. And and hopefully, uh, at the high school level, at the college level, obviously, uh, that we can get back to playing ball and and everybody uh, maybe getting back to normal eventually here. But uh, man, good to talk to you. Good to see you. We'll we'll do this thing again soon. You too, Kevin. Thanks for having me on, man. Go green. Absolutely. Go white.